Welcome back to the Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum, as always, and we are continuing our positional breakdowns for the offseason after taking a brief break to discuss things for the Senior Bowl. That game is past and behind us. We do have some final thoughts on that before we get to the defensive line, but today's show is to evaluate the things that we liked and did not like from the defensive line, arguably the strongest position group for the New York Giants. And then additionally, we're going to be letting you know about some of the big name defensive line free agents as well as the names to know in this year's draft class this all does it's worth noting include edge rushers because right now that is the clearest need for the new york giants on their defensive line kicking right into the senior bowl though final thoughts from watching the game and also hearing the buzz from practices and also getting to watch some clips from practice the first one here chris is that the quarterbacks came to show showed up and played very, very well, that being the two most important ones, Jordan Love from Utah State and Justin Herbert from Oregon, but surprisingly, Anthony Gordon from Washington State. And what this all means is that there's going to be more of an emphasis on those teams that want a quarterback that are going to be making efforts to trade up and get them. Yeah, this actually could turn out to be really good news for the Giants. We heard reports surface today that the Chargers are looking at moving on from Philip Rivers, who is a free agent, uh, or and yeah, who will be entering free agency this year. So that's another team that could be looking to trade up. And we wind up mentioning this pretty much every show. But if the Giants aren't looking at trading down this year, they're doing something wrong. And when you've got guys like Love and Herbert showing up, showing out at the Senior Bowl, which granted that is pretty much the perfect stage for them that that stage is pretty much tailor-made for guys like that to just show out and really improve their draft stock because they both have really great arm talent they're big they're athletic and those practices and the way those games are constructed it's just the perfect stage to showcase what they can do and you mentioned Anthony Gordon and his was a name we started to hear from the quarterback guys around like dra- uh, draft Twitter. Uh, I know Mark Schofield was rather taken by him before in the lead up to the senior bowl. And it's really nice to see a guy like that kind of come out of nowhere and make a name for himself, put himself on the stage. It's kind of ironic that now that the giants likely have their franchise quarterback and the guy that they're going to continue to build around at least for the next few years until they confirm that he's that guy. It's kind of ironic that I can guarantee this offseason we'll talk about the quarterback class probably more than any ever just because of how deep this class is and how much it's going to impact the rest of the draft order in front of and behind the Giants. There's a ton of implications on teams that are going to be wanting to trade up. So seeing a guy like Justin Herbert, who is pretty much locked into that top 15 pick range, have a good week and win the Senior Bowl MVP is good news for the Giants because he's going to start to slide up boards once he goes to the combine and and tests very well, especially in his athleticism. All of that stuff is going to continue to rise in his draft stock. And eventually there's a very good chance that that fourth pick is the perfect spot for someone to take Justin Herbert, meaning a desperate team will be willing to sell out. But uh, Jordan Love, there's been a lot of discussion of him 
potentially finding his way into the later end of the first round. That doesn't affect too much for the Giants, but still a run on quarterbacks is very, very possible in this year's draft. The other thing that was very visible from this year's Senior Bowl and watching one-on-ones on on clips on Twitter and other various outlets and those that were there were able to account for it. Additionally, it was very blatant and obvious during the game that offensive tackles and then also center from Washington Nick Harris did not really look that good. We were hoping to have a good tackle class coming from this group, but a lot of struggling guys, the, the pass rushers were having a pretty easy day. Jalen Hurts specifically was constantly smothered in his first half performance. So just overall, not a very good day from a tackle group that we were hoping to see a lot better from. Yeah, and I I think part of that is because you know we didn't get to see uh, Prince Teguinoho, left tackle and occasional right tackle out of Auburn. You know, he got the medical red flag and was basically just told to rest his knee for the combine. He might have helped the perception of the tackle class. Also, a lot of the the top tackles, Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wurst, Jedrick Wills, and now Mecky Becton, they they were not at Mobile. They were not on the field. So we we really got to look at the depth of this tackle class. And yeah, there are some questions about it now. And Nick Harris, just wow. I have said I thought he could have been right there in the conversation for top center in this class. And so far, he has shown up smaller than pretty much anyone expected. And he has just not looked good. And that's not great for him. That's not great for the Giants. He's kind of having a, if you remember back to last year, Florida pass rusher, Ja'Kai Polite. Everybody thought he might be, okay, a little bit undersized, but would be able to make up for with his athleticism and all that. And he just just had an absolutely terrible draft process. And it looks like Nick Harris might be going down that same path. It's worth noting that we're not lumping all of these offensive tackles into one discussion. There were guys that looked pretty good and, it showed up well, but overall there were some other names that that did visit, visibly struggle, and it would honestly take us a while just to run through and acknowledge all of them. But Nick Harris, though, it, he was struggling significantly, and we saw it a ton in the actual Senior Bowl facing up against these really heavy defensive tackles in the middle, over 300 pounds, heavier than him and taller than him, and he just seemed overwhelmed. He didn't seem like he was strong enough to pick up some of these guys, and he also was called multiple times for holding penalties. Just overall, a a struggling performance for Nick Harris. Hopefully he can rebound and have a good combine, but when you struggle in the Senior Bowl in in live one-on-one reps, things like that can really, really hurt your draft stock. Now, he'll probably still get drafted. It's just he might slip a little bit further than people really expected. And the final final thought that we had from the senior bowl was the very clear depth at the wide receiver position. And I'm going to take it a little bit further is that this class very clearly has a lot of really good senior receivers. And then on top of that, a lot of really big bodied, long armed athletic senior receivers. You got chase Claypool, you have golden Gandy from Liberty. You have, uh, a, a, a host of guys that, that looked really, really good in this game that scored touchdowns and made big plays that it would take me probably five minutes to acknowledge and name all of them that looked good during the game. Other guys like uh, Colin Johnson, Denzel Mins, Michael Pittman, KJ Hill. He isn't one of the big body guys, but you know, he really stood out with his 
ability to, to just play at a different speed than everybody else. This draft class has a few really good receivers at the top, but it also has a ton of depth. It is going to be possible to get a starting caliber receiver on day two and a guy who might be getting a first round grade pretty much any other year. I think that bodes well for the Giants as well, because as we both noted, they need to find a number one receiver. They need to rebuild their receiving depth chart. So this looks like a really good year to need a receiver. It's so odd to see that there's so many good receivers that there's a very good chance that first round quality guys could fall to day two, even day three, and turn out to be really good, talented guys in this league. And I think that one of the best draft philosophies I've ever read and and heard and really digested is that during in a draft class that has a really strong specific position group, and I think this year is the receiver position, position, also a little bit of the defensive line, you need to take at least one player, if not maybe multiple players from that draft class. You need to take advantage of the fact that there is a really talented receiving group. So I would not be distraught if the Giants did take two receivers. Take advantage of the available talent because who knows the next time this type of availability comes up for the receiver position group. And as we know, having good starting quality receivers is very, very important offensively for teams to be effective and to be able to move the ball. On to the defensive line and continuing our offseason breakdown discussion. First thing, things we liked. And let's start off by discussing the addition of a reputable veteran defensive line coach and bringing in Brett Bielma, who was once previously the head coach of Arkansas, then most recently coached under Bill Belichick as the defensive line coach for the Patriots. Now he is with the New York Giants. Yeah, he's one of the Giants now. Many former head coaches on their on their coaching staff, and you know, you mentioned Arkansas before that. He was the head coach at Wisconsin, and before that, he was the Wisconsin defensive coordinator. So he is just a longtime defensive-minded coach, and he has a really long history of being a very tough-minded defensive coach and putting a lot of really good front seven players in the NFL and then you know having a position on the Patriots coaching staff and helping to mold what was one of the very best defenses in the NFL last year you know the Patriots had a really good secondary in 2018 what put them over the top last year was their front seven kind of catching up with their secondary and being able to disrupt and create pressure that their secondary was then able to exploit. Hopefully, Bielma will be able to kind of bring that same uh, transformation to the Giants' defensive line. And it's worth noting that Bielma didn't really have an overly talented unit, so that really is an adamant to his, his coaching. And he did end up, inheriting a group that was already previously coached but some of those guys that were brought in he coached them up and turned them into a major asset and that's that's always been the Bill Belichick way and and always the 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 strong suit of Bill Belichick's defenses and throughout his whole career is being able to coach up and turn a, a relatively average 
defensive line or defense in general in terms of talent and making it very, very good and playing to their strengths. So we acknowledge that this defensive line for the Giants is arguably above average, young, and very, very talented. So if he can really unlock and harness the amount of talent that they have in all of these young guys and also bring in some additional pieces at the edge and coach them up, it could be a very, very good unit and continue to be the best one on this team. Next thing that we really, really liked was the interior lineman being very, very disruptive. So this means the big body guys, Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Tomlinson, you could also say BJ Hill. All of those guys look really, really good in terms of disrupting things, being clogging points along the line of scrimmage. Very specifically, Dalvin Tomlinson doing it year in and year out and continuing to improve. It's worth noting, I bet you didn't know this, folks, despite the Giants giving up a lot of rushing yards in some games, they had the fourth, tied fourth, best yards per carry allowed to opposing teams at 3.9. That's that's pretty impressive, and I would not really put that on the linebackers and give them credit for that. I would instead give credit to the big body guys in the middle that are taking up a lot of space. Yeah, definitely. The Giants defensive line was really good at controlling the line of scrimmage. You know, they maybe didn't do a ton behind it, it when it came to disrupting opposing passing game, but you know, running backs had really tough sledding when it came to trying to get past the line of scrimmage. You mentioned Dalvin Tomlinson and I'm pretty much on record as as being his biggest fan, actually going back to before he was drafted. When I watched him at Alabama, he just reminded me of Damon Harrison, and that's kind of the caliber of player he is turning into. He really was the Giants' best and most consistent defensive lineman. Then they got some really good play out of Dexter Lawrence. He didn't quite follow through in the second half of the season with the splash plays he was making in the first half, but I think he probably got more consistent, and that is just really nice to see from a rookie. B.J. Hill, he lost a lot of playing time to Leonard Williams, but you know, Leonard Williams did come in and contribute quite heavily to the Giants' success in run defense. All told, at least in that aspect of defense, the Giants were legitimately strong. The other thing that we really, really liked was Dexter Lawrence, who was drafted in the first round last year. Uh, I, I would say most people were like, really? That seems like a bit of an odd de- decision there to draft Dexter Lawrence. Do we really need another really big defensive tackle, defensive end type player to play along this defensive line. But I don't think any of us are complaining right now after seeing how well he did. He was a dominant force as a big bodied guy and overplaying a lot of people's expectations as being disruptive, even though he's this big, huge 340 pound defensive end. You'd expect him to really just be a run stopper, but he was able to pressure the quarterback. He was able to get sacks. He was able to be a multifaceted defensive lineman that you can use him as a three technique, a five technique. You can move him along the defensive line and create disruption with him. I think he's one of the best pieces right next to Dalvin Tomlinson in in being able to develop him, him into a serious weapon. There's not a lot of guys that can move as well as he can at the size that he's playing at right now. Yeah, and I think that size is kind of why he took people by surprise. They, I think a lot of people looked at him and saw another big nose tackle, and that's just not what he was. That's not what he is for the Giants. That's not what he was 
at Clemson. He really is a defensive end or a three technique. He just happens to be a ginormous human being. And I think as long as he is allowed to continue to play that role, he should continue to improve. I think as he can Im- improves and hones his craft as a pass rusher, get continue to get more consistent with his pad level, better with his hand usage, that will really unlock that athleticism that lets him move just in ways a human being his size should just not be able to. I, I did notice that towards the end of the year, the Giants did begin to play him more at nose tackle, and I, I thought he was just not nearly as effective in that role. He wasn't as effective as Dalvin Tomlinson was in the same role, and it really took away from what he was able to do best, which is just attack a single gap, get into the backfield, and disrupt. The final major positive that we have from this group And I think this one's pretty obvious is that the general depth of the unit is very, very good. It's easily the deepest unit on this Giants team. And it goes back to the philosophy of general manager Dave Gettleman in wanting to build from the defensive line and get these big bodied guys to attract attention from opposing offensive lines. Now, if you look at the list of guys that are currently expected to be under contract you have Dalvin Tomlinson you have Dexter Lawrence who we've discussed in full detail BJ Hill who took a bit of a step back just because they were giving Leonard Williams more of an opportunity to play not including him in this discussion though because he is expected to be a free agent also Chris Slayton came in and looked decent at times RJ McIntosh also was a contributor and then if you want to discuss also some of these outside linebacker edge rusher players and put them into the mix Lorenzo Carter more of an outside linebacker but is also a a rush the passer and then I would also argue O'Shane Zimenez too looked pretty decent for a third rounder as far as being able to be that edge defender yeah the depth of the Giants along the defensive line between interior defensive alignment defensive ends edge rushers kind of I think the exact naming kind of changes based on what what exact alignment and front they happen to be playing on any particular down but i think we all pretty much know w- what the group is and who's in it they do need to get more disruptive going forwards and really affect the passing game more but in general their depth and their ability to have a good rotation is very good right now I would say it isn't just a Dave Gettleman philosophy. It goes back to Ernie Corsi and George Young. This is it is really a Giants philosophy. They have always invested heavily in the defensive line and trying to get guys who can control the line of scrimmage defensively. And really, it it has been a philosophy that has paid off for them pretty consistently throughout the past. Now on to things that we didn't like, and I think the first glaring issue is that you have all these really big body guys that take up all the space and are effective in slowing down the run which has somehow become more relevant than ever because of these successful running teams like the 49ers like the Baltimore Ravens that are able to effectively focus their offense around running backs and attacking through the run game but if you can't rush the passer you can't be successful defensively in today's modern NFL. No matter how much opposing teams are running the ball, if you can't get after the quarterback, you're not going to win football games. And the Giants were ranked 22nd in the league, only racking up 36. Now, that was a step up from the previous season, but there's still a lot of issues with, with the with the edge position and, and having consistent pass rushers 
They had Marcus Golden get 10 sacks, but we don't really know if he's going to be coming back or not and if he's going to be a part of this Giants defensive unit or if he, if he even should be coming back and if he's the right guy to be their premier pass rusher. There's a glaring hole for need of a top-tier, talented pass rusher for them to help finish out this defensive line. Yeah, the just to borrow a phrase from baseball because, hey, pitchers and catchers report soon. The Giants need an ace. They need a pass rusher who just has that strikeout stuff who can force an offense to have to game plan for them, force them to slide their protections. That will make life easier for their secondary pass rushers. That'll make life easier for their blitzers. That will make life easier for their defensive backs. And the Giants just do not have that right now, and they need to get one. Yeah, pretty much every team needs at least one guy like that, but we'll say the Giants in particular need to get one. It it doesn't matter what the other 31 teams do. The Giants need to fix this. Is Marcus Golden the guy? He was productive, but he is a very odd pass rusher in a lot of ways. He does not generate a whole lot of pressure. He doesn't win his pass rush reps all that often. But when he does win, he finishes at the quarterback at an unusually high rate. And you know, a lot of that is technique. A lot of that is hustle. And also a lot of that was James Betcher being, I would say, very good at scheming golden one-on-one pass rush reps. Now, given the number of one-on-one matchups he had, he probably should have been winning his reps more frequently. But at least he did get enough of them where he was able to finish at the quarterback at a high rate. But is that a number one guy? I'm not sure. Maybe that's a, maybe if the giants could get him back on a reasonable contract, he could be a really good number two though. I would argue that there's a pretty good shot that golden doesn't come back because he was a James Betcher guy who was really only successful under James Betcher when he was previously with the Arizona Cardinals comes to the giants has a good year. I just don't know if the Patrick Graham will be willing to work with him and, and think that he is the guy. He he does really need some help schematically if you want him to hit home and get a sack. So we don't really know if he's going to be coming back or not. There's plenty of time to speculate whether or not he will actually be returning with the Giants. The final thing that we really didn't like, let's keep this straight up, Leonard Williams. I, I didn't like Leonard Williams. I don't think that he really did anything that made me content with their decision to trade multiple picks to bring him in just to evaluate him and decide if they want to negotiate a contract. I just think that the amount of draft capital that they moved in order to get him was really not worth the performances that they received from Leonard Williams. He was the sixth overall pick. He's a big defensive tackle that can't rush the passer. They don't need another big gap-filling guy that is not performing at the same level as Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. The the Giants have... They basically traded a third-round pick for the chance to find out whether or not they want to sign him long-term. To me, what really brought into focus Leonard Williams, the value he brings to the Giants is the fact that for all intents and purposes, he was outproduced by Olson Pierre, who was cut to make room for Leonard Williams. Pierre finished the season with two sacks and three tackles for a loss, playing 
somewhere between half and a quarter of the snaps per game that Leonard Williams did. And Williams finished with half a sack and two two tackles for a loss in basically the same number of games. It is a lot to trade a third round pick, a player you are expecting to be a contributor on a very reasonable contract for not much production and then the chance to replace that very reasonable contract with potentially $10 million per year for Leonard Williams. I would have a very hard time going along with the Giants basically making that decision. Now we're going to fill you in on names to know for the draft and also free agency. But before we do that, we're going to take a very short commercial break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, now on to the offseason plan for the defensive line, as well as letting you know those names that you need to be aware of for the draft and free agency. Kicking it into the offseason plan, right off the previous point we had about Leonard Williams, it needs to be acknowledged that the Giants should not be the ones overpaying Leonard Williams. If they decide that they want to bring him in, allow someone else to overpay him for his services as only a guy that that takes up space and attention from defensive linemen because the Giants really don't need that. Now, if no one is willing to pay him that contract that he is seeking and he is willing to come to the Giants to play for a simple contract, something that is not a top-tier defensive line quality annual salary, that wouldn't be too much of an issue. If they could get him for cheap, I would not have any qualms with them bringing back Leonard Williams. But they should not be in any way considering overpaying him or paying him a ton of money because he's not really worth a huge top-tier defensive lineman contract. Yeah, if the Giants could get Williams to come back on an affordable, team-friendly contract, by all means, you know, bring him back. Yes, that does make uh, the fifth-round pick turn into a fourth-round pick, but 
whatever. He's not a bad player. Yeah, he's not a ten or twelve million dollar a year player, but he's not a bad player either. He's a he is a good role player, and that I think is what he should be paid as. Paying him five or so million dollars, I think, would be fair for what he's capable of doing. But the fact that he's not a consistent pass rusher or a dominant one really lowers his value. And again, somebody is likely going to be willing and overly eager to to pay him way more than he's actually worth. It happens every year in free agency. Just allow another team to do that and, and move on. Other thing that is worth focusing on for the offseason is paying or drafting an edge rusher. And this is very necessary to preface this, that they, the Giants do not need any more interior defensive linemen. They don't need another nose tackle. They don't need really any defensive ends for their 3-4 scheme. They need edge rushers, defensive ends, or outside linebackers that are pass rushers. They need those types of players to finish out the depth on this Giants defense. Because without that, like we've said the whole show, the Giants defense is going to be pretty much average instead of being really great. I would have absolutely no problem with the Giants saying, should we sign a pass rusher or draft one? And the answer being yes, do both. Get a veteran in free agency and also get another young guy in the draft. This is a, I would say a little bit of a complicated uh, pass rusher draft because you know there's one guy who is just head and shoulders above everyone else but then there are there are other guys maybe a little bit later who we will get to who have potential get a veteran who you can expect to come in and maybe be a spark right away and then get a young guy that you can develop and hopefully have as a building block who can produce for you four four five you know maybe into a second contract in terms of players that the Giants should be targeting in free agency, there's a pretty good edge pass rushing class for this year, which is why the Giants should be willing to spend, I would say, a lot of money to fill this role. Because if you look at it right now, some of the best names, and we're, we're possibly missing some of them here, but Jadeveon Clowney is going to be a free agent. We're unaware if he is going to be returning with the Seattle Seahawks. Dante Fowler, I think, is the most intriguing one on this list because he's with the Los Angeles Rams. He had 12 sacks this past season, but it's worth noting that the Rams have very minimal cap room and they have very expensive contracts for Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, and Aaron Donald. They're probably not going to be able to pay Dante Fowler the money that he's going to be seeking as a top-tier quality pass rusher. Now, Fowler is not an elite top five pass rusher, but he's still very, very talented. And if you unlock his capability and his athleticism and what he's really possibly able to hit at his ceiling, he could be very, very good as that final piece along this defensive line. And then the final name that I think everyone is discussing is Yannick Ngakwe from the Jacksonville Jaguars, who has been one of the most underrated defensive ends and pass rushers in the league since being a day two prospect out of Maryland, he could very well be a great, great fit. It's just we don't know for sure what is going to be happening with if the Jaguars are going to try and tag him, tag and trade him, or if they're just going to let him straight up walk and he seeks out contracts elsewhere. He is definitely going to be a name to watch because Jacksonville is over the salary cap right now. They need to shed salary and 
Part of that is, you know, a couple of really not good quarterback contracts between Nick Foles and then Blake Bortles. And they they are just not in a great cap space right now. The other place I'm looking is Tampa Bay because Jason Pierre-Paul is a free agent. And he he obviously has history with the Giants, which also means he has a history with Patrick Graham. Graham coached JPP for two years as the Giants defensive line coach in 2015 and 2016. And then obviously there's Shaq Barrett who just, he just exploded onto the scene this year as a one year cheap contract, you know, just get out from behind Von Miller and Bradley Chubb over in uh, Denver. And he got out from behind them and wow. He was a monster this year. JPP, he missed the first part of the season with a broken neck, suffered in a car accident, and still finished the season with eight and a half sacks. He's still a very good run defender, but with his injury history, with his age, he might be a good, uh, maybe a little bit less expensive option if the Giants choose to invest elsewhere or if they maybe want to sign a couple edge rushers maybe they break the bank for Ngakwe and still pick up JPP for maybe a a reasonable amount that's just something I think maybe keep an eye on there's a really strong likelihood that Pierre Paul is going to be very very cheap considering his injury history and also considering his age so if you're able to bring him in along with somebody else, I I would fully support that. But Shaq Barrett is such an interesting situation because he really might not be willing to leave Tampa Bay. And also Tampa Bay will probably go right to tagging him and not allowing him to even make that decision to leave. But because Barrett had so much success in his first year in Tampa, he might not really think a change of scenery is ideal for him. He might want to continue with that line of success under Bruce Arians and with that defense. The the final name we have to discuss because we're pretty much going to bring up a Patriot every single time we do one of these shows and talking about free agents just because they, they brought in a former Belichick disciple. They brought in Joe Judge, who was the special teams coordinator, and there's such a consistent trend of those former Patriot coaches going and stealing a couple people here and there from the Patriots to bring them into their, their new, new uh, roster. So Jamie Collins, I could very well see Jamie Collins coming in and being an edge rusher, um, a, a, a pass rusher. I, I could very well see him coming in just because of that obvious and glaring circumstance. Yeah. That's, that just seems like it's something that always happens. Yeah. We've already seen uh, Devin McCourty connected to the giants because of that, Patriots connection got Joe Judge got Brett Bielma it's it's there another one possibly is Kyle Van Noy which you know he's maybe a bit more of a inside linebacker but just as another guy who's you're gonna hear his name this offseason just because free agent Patriots connection get used to hearing it now (laughs) for this draft class it is a bit odd like you acknowledged Chris and It's worth noting that it is very talented on the interior. There's guys from the Senior Bowl who looked very well, uh, very good. Kinlaw from the Senior Bowl looked very, very good. Somebody who's who's increasing his draft stock. A lot of other guys that 
could be drafted in the first round, but this edge class is a bit odd because Chase Young is miles ahead in terms of his talent and his ceiling and what he could turn out to be. And if the Giants were able to land him at four, that would be amazing, an amazing addition to this Giants defense. It could be the type of impact that Nick Bosa had for the San Francisco 49ers in that defense. He was that final necessary piece that they needed to plug in for things to really ignite and for that switch to be flipped and turned on for them to take that next step. But Young, we have no clue if he's going to even be there. He could be even taken with the first overall pick by the Bengals if they think, hey, we're not so sure about Joe Burrow. That's probably not going to happen, but there is still the possibility of it happening. But once you look away from Chase Young, there's a handful of guys that have first-round talent that all do one thing well, but not everything at a high level. And the list of guys that you could acknowledge here is Julian Aquara from Notre Dame, Kalevon uh, Chason from LSU, Joshua Uche from Michigan, and Terrell Lewis from Alabama. And there's other guys, too, that don't really fit with the, the, the new anticipated 3-4 multiple scheme that Patrick Graham is going to be running but those are really the guys in that first round range that could fit later on in the first round, maybe early on in the second. Yeah, I would say of the type of player the Giants need, just a athletic speed rusher, a guy who can really scare offensive tackles and win outside, win on an inside move, and just give them the downhill speed that they don't have right now. I'm looking at Aquara, at Aquara Chasen, and Uche. Terrell Lewis, he absolutely passes the eye test. He's got all the athleticism you want, but he is just, he still needs to put it together. Maybe if he is there at the top of the second round, you take him as a a bit more of a developmental prospect, but especially Okwara and Chasen, if they are there for the Giants with their second pick or if the Giants trade back, those to me would be very, very intriguing guys that you would have to spend a long time thinking about. Another player, too, that is worth acknowledging towards the later round range, day two, and someone who had a very good senior bowl performance is Bradley Anai from Utah. Now, a lot of people will say that Anai is not overly athletic. He doesn't really flash a ton on tape. He's not super explosive compared to some of these other guys but Anai looked really really good in the senior bowl and he was dominating against some weak offensive tackles really eating and generating a lot of quarterback pressures and sacks he looked explosive to me in that game and he's somebody to watch in terms of his draft stock as as it will likely continue to rise after the combine as well I would not be discontent if they don't really get an opportunity to draft an edge rusher early on and if they did end up with a nine in the second or third round because again he might not be overly athletic but he's still that type of guy that can finish and get those sacks and really will surprise you every single play yeah and i could actually be an ngakwe type player where might not have the length and lateral agility and bendiness that you normally associate with edge rushers but just a really great strength and linear explosion to get off the line of scrimmage get past get past offensive tackles get to the depth and then if he's got a good angle get into the backfield you know i've i watched him against uh usc the other day and there were some snaps where he just looked like he was fired out of a cannon 
and into the backfield. The offensive tackle didn't really even have a chance of getting a hand on him. He consistently flashed on tape, and I think his combine is going to be A, very important, and B, very interesting. It would not surprise me if he has a really good 10-yard split, a really good short shuttle, and a really good uh, really good jumps, broad jump, vertical jump, but maybe not a great 40 and not a great three cone drill. That's just the kind of thing I expect to see from him. But yeah, you know, also a guy like that from a school like Utah, which is a, a developing program, they're starting to be very good, but still isn't getting quite the attention that say LSU or Alabama get. That's just something to be, keep an eye on, look forward to, and I think going to be very interesting to see. That's all we have for you today, folks, for our defensive line offseason breakdown. We're going to be coming at you next with linebackers and discussing what you need to know about them for free agency in the draft. Be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to us and also follow us on social media at Big Blue View. You can follow me at Joe DeLeon and you can follow Chris at Raptor MKII. Will we, we will be continuing our mailbag episodes at the end of the week. So if you are interested, be sure to send in your questions to our email account. That is bigblueview at gmail.com. You can also send us a message through our Facebook or directly DM us on Twitter or DM Chris or I on Twitter as well.